Welcome to the CMS Real Deal podcast. I'm your host, Danny Drummond Brassington. Join me as we take a step back from the legal nitty gritty and look at issues affecting the property industry. So as we kickstart our 2020 Real Deal podcast series, I'm again catching up with Kieran Cavello, Head of Real Estate at CMS, and Chris Luck, partner in our Real Estate Funds team, to get their thoughts on what 2020 has in store for us. So welcome both again. Hi. Hi, Danny. Um, so we usually do this in, in January, but I think we wanted to just pause a little bit and see what happened on the 31st of January. Pause for breath, quite rightly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, whether this time Brexit would actually happen, and it did, and we want to sort of take stock of what we think, will how that will shape the year. But before we delve into 2020, let's do what we've done for the past few years, and let's just take a moment, take stock of what happened in 2019, and how the real estate industry fared. Um, so let me get your thoughts. I'll start with you first, Kieran. Well, I think probably when we we're doing this podcast around this time last year, Danny, perhaps a little earlier, I thought um, that the year was going to be pretty strong. And it was pretty strong uh, to a point, but it almost hit. Uh, a hard stop around June when people started to think too much political uncertainty um, you know what's gonna what's brexit gonna look like um, is this the right time to invest pricing a bit difficult in terms of you know how much do we pay are we overpaying um, you know if it doesn't work out as we all hope it will work out uh, we could all look rather foolish so the investment market in terms of volumes definitely wasn't at the levels we've seen in the past um, but as we got towards the end of the year confidence started to return and of course we now know there's a majority conservative um, government um, and that has restored confidence significantly uh, so much so that I think this January in 2020 is probably the busiest January I think we've had in terms of new inquiries mm-hmm. uh, for people wanting to do things. There is definitely pent up demand, plenty of capital on the sidelines from the international investors but also the domestic investors uh, and they're ready to to get going again. I think I'll agree with that. I think everybody came back on the 6th of January thinking slow start to the year and it was bang. I remember my to-do list on the 6th of January went off the end of the page. Um, Chris, what about you? What are your thoughts and reflections on 2019? Well, I sort of agree with the UK sort of overview of what last year generally looked like. Um, but I think I would also add that Brexit maybe is used sometimes to cloak something which is going on far bigger and obviously capital is global brexit is a uk specific thing mostly but real estate and the money trying to get into real estate is going through quite a big transaction transition i think there is more money trying to find product the product is having to evolve the people who live and work in buildings are changing how they do these things mm. and so therefore I think there's some much bigger shifts in how buildings are designed and used, how we live, how money is deployed around the world, how technology comes into things and so actually Brexit is not over but it's going going yeah. forward and I think the next 10 years is more about a revolution that's going on in real estate. It's a new era for real estate. 
I think that's a very good point, Chris. I think the um, we got very self-absorbed a bit with Brexit. Yeah. But well, um, we couldn't do anything other, could we? I mean, it was just twenty-four-seven on the news. Well, so that's he, true. He, we're all just, sick of it by the yeah, end of the year. So much uh, on that one subject, but as you look at what's been happening around the world, and of course now. Uh, the coronavirus, mm-hmm. uh, some of the political difficulties. I mean, even looking at Ireland now, you know, you've got, yeah. uh, you know, three parties with no no two parties going to be able to have 80 seats and therefore govern. You know, the world is changing quite significantly. Obviously, we've talked in the past about the US and what's happening there, trade wars with China, etc. Um, and I think, you know, there's always going to be some risk. So whilst Brexit was... Uh, very much the focus within the UK, international investors have a sort of much wider purview and they look at sort of all macroeconomic risks and political risks um, in assessing where they make their investments. And Chris is right, real estate is undoubtedly changing uh, and people are embracing that change. Um, So technology, as you've mentioned, Chris, and sustainability. I remember it wasn't that long ago where we had the green agenda and people would say, well, yeah, we we perhaps should uh, build green buildings. Um, but they would cost more, and will yeah. the tenants pay for it? It's now actually gone beyond that. It's if you don't build green buildings, they won't get occupied. Yeah. you won't actually yeah. have anyone to take. Well, them. that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Actually, is you know I think we've seen this seismic shift in green climate change and and the way companies are reacting to that and getting their creds out there and that whole ESG agenda. So I wanted really your views of how you think that ESG agenda is going to shape real estate investment this year and I think Chris you said we're talking about 10 years you know what what are your thoughts? Well we hosted a dinner last week with 50 clients from the real estate fund sector attending Mm. and the two themes and two talks during the the course of the evening were on ESG and on AI and technology and taking the ESG bit first buildings that don't comply with best practice will not be as valuable, potentially, as the ones that are. They'll yeah. be driven into a different component of the of the real estate sector. You know, so, And the investors won't want to invest in the buildings which don't comply with the best practice. Uh, so there's, there's those sort of things going on. It's a driver for value. Yeah. But also people are not just being motivated by financial returns about real estate. It's very, very important. But actually, I think people now increasingly in the, in the investment community want to see a positive social impact, whether it's environmental or whether it's how people live and providing housing. And beds have been a huge yeah. uh, expanding sector within the real estate world. And they definitely do have a social impact because they provide homes to people. And that's just one specific example. I think actually on ESG, and just returning to that for a moment, um, whilst people do have a societal and social agenda, actually, unless, uh, as I mentioned before, um, people will just won't be able to attract the occupiers, but actually, even the businesses, they won't be able to attract the graduates because people coming through now from university, they're really interested in their place of work, not just the desk they sit at or the view they've got if they've got a corner office, but actually, you know, are you carbon neutral? You know, what you do with waste, what you do with energy, all of those things. So if you want the best talent, and there is a war for talent, um, you've really got to provide, you know, suitable buildings that people want to work in. No, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and I think we're seeing you know, clients also looking at that um, as part and parcel of pitches. And you know, and to the extent they're not, it will be. Mm-hmm. 
So you've talked about seismic change coming over 10 years. So let's just drill down into a few sectors and what you think 2020 has in store. Let's start with the office market, because we've always talked about London being a safe haven, always attractive. Um, do you think that's going to continue? Or are we going to see a rise in some European cities more so than London? Um, earlier in the year, we had a really a very good speaker from Knight Frank Investment Management, Ian Whitlock, and he, he gave a really good example, which I'd not heard before, that... Um, when we, going back to Brexit again, I promise we won't labour this, <laughs> but um, at the time, you, you'll recall, um, around October, um, Mr Johnson wanted to prorogue Parliament, and uh, we, many of us thought that was pretty outrageous, how could you do that? And of course, uh, the courts and the judiciary said no, that was unlawful, couldn't do it. But uh, an interesting uh, point that Ian mentioned was that actually many international investors really liked that. And they really liked it because they felt that the rule of law was above all else. And we have a very transparent market. We have a market that people can rely on things, whereas in some countries and jurisdictions, you know, the government can just decide we're confiscating your property, you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that. And actually they took a, a lot of reassurance from that. So, you know, whilst we were all sort of tearing our hair out thinking this is all terrible, um, interestingly, if you, if you have a, a different standpoint and you want to invest somewhere which is a safe haven, where you know um, your land is your land and it won't be anybody else and you have indefeasible mm-hmm. title, uh, the UK remains a, a really attractive place to invest and just just as we talk about and very briefly I was in Korea with our European team in September so people from the Netherlands CEE France Germany and the UK and it was very interesting because we were talking about different gateway cities across Europe and of course what we saw last year was less to the UK and more to some of the European cities but at the end of our week uh, many of the Korean investors said you know what, we should actually be investing in the UK. This was all pre-Brexit mm-hmm. because actually yields had got to such a aggressive level in some of those other um, countries that they actually thought the UK now actually looked really good value for money. Great. Good to hear then. I think that is part of it, is that the UK real estate, the right buildings, provide a good yield when you yeah. think it costs you to put money in the European Central Bank, but you can be making four, five, six, whatever percent um, in real estate, which is quite attractive and probably not as volatile as some of the equities. So yeah. the asset class is attractive in its own right, just from its financial dynamic. Uh, but but also, if you look at the UK, we have a planning system where it takes ages, in effect, to do something new. So yeah. there is a limited supply chain of suitable property for whatever use. Yeah. So actually, if you own good property in a good location then it's always going to have an inherent value. And of course, since the election, we can see at the moment, perhaps with the budget as well, big spending coming on infrastructure. Yeah. And infra- infrastructure tends to um, to encourage real estate activity. There are cranes in London now, and even if banks are withdrawing because of um, their activities not being profitable enough or being challenged by challenges or technology, the space is being filled up by other businesses from around the world, whether it's insurance or tech. So there's yeah. certainly tenant demand in the right places, and, and infrastructure like um, Crossrail starting, or HS2, will over the course of time. 
encourage more activity and value. You're mentioning occupiers there. Um, it's quite interesting last year that I think at one point um, there was really one occupier that was taking up a lot of the, the space and everybody was talking about the flexible office space and how that's shaping and changing that office market. Um, I think it sort of changed towards the back end of, of year, but do you think that the office market is overexposed to flexible office? Do you think that that is something that, or a trend that will continue? I think um, the theme that Chris touched on earlier on about an evolving mm-hmm. marketplace, I think the real estate market um, is increasingly becoming dynamic. It has to listen to what is happening, what people want. So I don't think this is a passing fad. I still think there will be flexible office providers, just as now in some ways we've, we've got co-living as a yep. new concept. Who would have thought of that 10 years ago? Uh, and we're seeing more and more technology companies come to to the UK. In fact, another extraordinary statistic which really surprised me was since the EU referendum, a million new jobs have been created in London, which is incredible, Mm -hmm. mainly taken up by tech, probably 20% of those nearly are tech jobs. But um, people want to have flexibility, you know, in their work, in their lives. Um, Mobility is really important. So I think flexible working is here to stay. You know, how much of the market it will make up remains to be seen, but I think we would kind of dismiss that at our peril. I'm doing work in relation to technology and funds and and the like, and the level of activity, conversation, engagement with tech-facing clients, which often aren't big, and many of them will fail, but the ones that come good are tenants of the future but they need, need to start out somewhere more flexible yeah they do and I think we're, we've got a really a thought-led economy mm-hmm. and tech is at the very heart of that and we've seen new immigration rules being announced yesterday yes and it's quite clear the government and our university system is very much at the heart of tech yes it's not going away and it is probably the future prosperity for all of us absolutely absolutely so let's move away from the office to perhaps a sector that wasn't um the rosiest of or didn't have the rosiest of years and that's the retail certainly on the bricks and mortar side um you according to deloitte there are 124 retail administrations and 29 cvs that's a huge amount to hit the retail sector um, and it's going to impact on those people wanting to invest in it. So we've seen the sort of this reaction to this and, and owners of retail assets looking to repurpose and find other uses and, and develop around the, the, the land that they've got. Where do you see the retail sector going this year and beyond? I think it's, um, it's undoubtedly challenged. It's been challenged for uh, some time, um, you know, whether that's e-tailing, whether that is business rates, it's probably a combination of a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as the government looks to rebuild communities, it's going to need to think carefully about this, certainly in some of those tertiary areas, repurposing, as you said, but ways of bringing the people back into the high street. Now, you know, whether that's through there's a, there's a limit to how many coffee shops you want yep. on the high street, clearly, but whether it's also leisure whether it is logistics, last mile delivery, yep. some of that. Um, but it needs to have some vibrancy around it because that creates a sense of community does, and that's yeah. really important. And we've seen the importance of that you know, through our recent elections and you know, people, how they voted. So um, I think we're going to see 
just a greater variety of mixed use. Our high streets won't look like they used to look, they'll look somewhat different. Um, but there are people, interestingly, you, and you'll have seen it in the last um, six months, quite a lot of what I would call the clever money actually starting to buy retail investments. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, some people may have saying they were waiting for them to fall to a very low level and, you know, are they bottom fishers? But, you know, some of these people are actually long-term investors, but very shrewd and clever long-term investors. And, you know, I think our high streets will look very different in 10 years from how they look today. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. And we touched upon housing and I think people talk about repurposing and repositioning. And people also talk about urbanisation. Mm -hmm. And I suppose shops and even car parks, if you move towards you know, self-driving vehicles, there is land and there are buildings which maybe aren't suitable as retail anymore, but they yeah. may well be suitable for something else. Yeah. Um, Kieran, you talked about uh, last mile delivery and you we can't sort of do a, re a review of 2019 and a look forward to 2020 without talking about the darling of the real estate world and the logistics sector. Uh, featured at the top of um, the list of, of the most attractive investment class in our annual survey. Um, anything going to take that from the top spot again this year? There just seems to be so much demand, you know. Uh, anyone that's got Amazon, anything pre-let to Amazon, it kind of, there'll be so many people competing and bidding for that. I mean, we've been very privileged for, for many years to act for Seagro, and this indeed is their hundredth year mm -hmm. um, in, in business. And who would have imagined uh, Slough Estates as you know, effectively an industrial company 20 years ago now being the biggest real estate company in the FTSE 100, um, trading at a premium to net asset value. It's really quite remarkable and you know, it, it's wonderful to see their success and you know, I'm sure it will continue. Um, and you know, there just doesn't see, it seems like an insatiable demand for logistics <laughs> yeah. at the moment. It, it well, is, I guess the more we shop it, on Amazon and yeah. online, the more, you know, as you say, the more last well, mile delivery. It is delivery partly the flip side of the retail it discussion. Is, it is, it's exactly now. the flip side, isn't it? You know, they, yeah. they don't just do retail products because obviously they're shipping all sorts of things yeah. through airports and ports and roads um, and motorways. Yeah. So it's, it's not just about uh, online shopping, but it is obviously a big part of it. It is. The more people stay at home and order things online, as you yeah. say, the, the more um, warehouse space that's needed. Um, I also want to sort of have a quick look at what has now really been called the bed sector, picking up, you know, retirement living, build to rent, hotels, student housing, healthcare. Um, and that's really, I don't think it's fair to call it an alternative investment class now. It is an, a, an investment class in its own right, and every, there are a lot of people moving into it. Um, so retirement, very attractive, and seeing Germany and France as having a you know, very optimistic outlook there. Student accommodation in CEE, you know, your demand is outstripping supply. So it's all looking pretty bright there. Um, what are your thoughts for that, for the 2020? Well, again, I think some of the points that Chris made earlier about the changing face of real estate, you know, many years ago, certainly when I started, everyone used to talk about offices, retail or industrial. That was kind of it. You know, today, as you say, they're not really alternatives anymore. They're part of the mainstream. Mm -hmm. It's just another way to invest uh, in real estate. And it's obviously much more operational. So whether it's healthcare or whether it's hotels or student accommodation, uh, and it relies on you know having good operating partners or whether it's you know, 
uh, buy to rent or, or whatever it might be or PRS um, but at one time people would look at those um, asset classes and think mm, maybe it's a bit just too difficult but you know in the search for yield um, people are now becoming much more focused on those areas because they see real growth in them as you say an aging population a healthier population uh, people are living longer but people also want different things you know in in their old age or in their retired years they don't necessarily just want to sit at home and read a book you know they want different experiences there's obviously a, a changing demographic in the country obviously so retirement living in healthcare will appeal in that sense um, although again because they're operational assets some of these business models might be quite difficult because very much in the news as we speak is the provision of labour in some of yes. these markets so some of the operating models might be stretched in some cases uh, people want to be educated as so student housing, yeah. student accommodation is still going to be popular, especially with the reputation of the UK institutions. Uh, so there's a demand for this asset class, hotels, people want to have leisure time. Yeah. So there are some challenges for it as well. And I think the owners are perhaps a little bit different. You tend to get, perhaps get private equity coming yeah. into this market more to create value. You've also got institutional money moving in to things like the private rented sector. Yeah because A, it is probably quite good from a, an ESG perspective, Absolutely. and it creates long-term income flows, which insurance companies and pension funds, it's whether they're after. UK or global, are all mm. seeking because they can match the income, ideally, to what they've got to pay out. So yeah. it's a very attractive class, whereas perhaps the trophy buildings at the moment are a greater appeal to more singular ownership, yeah. because people want those assets because they're big, and they're, they're a different sort of model altogether. Um, actually, talking about trophy buildings um, sort of leads me nicely on to sort of the provenance of the capital coming in. Because, um, Kieran, last year you were very optimistic. I listened back to what you said last year. And you were very optimistic about the amount of overseas capital that would come into the UK in 2019. Um, so I'm going to ask, was that, was that right to be so optimistic? And do you see, and where do you see inward investment coming from in 2020? Overseas capital um, does remain very focused on the UK and the other major markets. I think last year undoubtedly um, investment volumes weren't at the level we all hoped, um, but as you know, for all the reasons we know, political situation in particular in the UK, um, that undoubtedly affected things. Uh, and many investors told us that they just couldn't invest at the moment because if they put anything, this was 2019, if they put anything to their investment committees, they would say, well, why do it now? Why not just wait to see what the landscape looks like? By contrast, in 2020, you know, they're back and they're looking. And I think the challenge this year is going to be stock. Um, mm -hmm. You know, who is going to... Who, where are the sellers? Where are the products? Because if you look at where the gilt and the bond market is in terms of their you know, relatively low yields compared to real estate, you look at um, the equity markets and some of the volatility there, particularly with you know, some of the external factors we face across the world, uh, political or indeed viruses, etc. Um, I think um, it's going to be a bit of a challenge actually because some sellers will say unless they really have to sell where am I going to reinvest the capital where yeah. am I going to reinvest the cash unless they want to return it to shareholders or investors 
Um, but there will always be, you know, there will be some who will say this is a good time to sell. You know, this is a mature asset. We've kind of made money and part of our job. You know, say yeah. a REIT. It's time to now take the value as part of our job and now find, you know, the next opportunity. So I think it'll be a really interesting um, year this year in the real estate market. My sense is we could find the first nine months uh, pretty busy yep. and then depending on where we are in the autumn and how uh, Mr Johnson and Mr Barnier are getting on with their negotiation we might find ourselves again in one of those periods that we had in sort of September 2019 onwards where people sort of wait and see. Yeah and Chris the same sort of in your market the funds market? Well we're, we're very busy in the funds market and particularly with joint ventures and in the same way that we've discussed uh, real estate actually comprising different components, different asset classes, in reality, the investor world, the money comprises very, very different people. Yeah. And so I think good quality product, good buildings will attract a lot of money, a lot of interest from around the world, from places like North America, mm-hmm. big, big active um, source of capital last year, um, the Far East. Yep. and other places besides. So I don't think there's a shortage of money looking for the assets. I think if you are looking at perhaps more regional towns, more slightly displaced assets, that's not going to be their natural place to buy. Yep. Those markets might be a little bit more stretched for obvious reasons because what is the quality of the stock? Uh, who are the local tenants? What are the local economies looking like? Because you know, we are in a period of quite massive change. And flipping it round, I Last year I thought we would end up all right, because I think the underlying fundamentals of real estate and the returns are good for the right things, and I don't think that is changing at all. And indeed, I'm really quite enthusiastic about the sort of new era that I was mm-hmm. referring to, because I, I think real, real estate has moved on from more from just traditional asset classes being explained and described to actually a whole new thematic approach to it. And the tenant relationships, I think, are becoming much more refined and embedded yeah. with data and services. Yeah. And so for those reasons, I'm quite positive and optimistic about where real estate is heading. Great. Well, sort of just really by way of conclusion then, it's been fascinating to have your insights. Thank you so much. I'm sure everybody's um, going to enjoy listening to them. Um, Can I just finish with your wish for 2020 in the real estate market? Gosh, that's a tough question, Danny. I think um, bearing in mind the bruising we all took in (laughs) 2019, uh, a return to stability and certainty as soon as possible. I think I'd second that one as well. Chris? Yeah, I would just like to see a, a, a certain playing field. People don't rock the boat, either politically or there's nothing out there that we haven't even dreamt of yet yeah. that upsets <laughs> things. So I, I, I don't want um, spikes and troughs. Yeah. I think steady forward progression. Right. For, for the good of everybody. Oh, that's a good wish. Um, so thank you both. Um, pleasure to have you on and uh, speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Danny. Thank you for listening to the CMS Real Deal podcast. If you would like any further information, head to our website, cms.law. And don't forget to subscribe via your usual podcast store.